In Dorchester County, unlike Charleston County, there hasn't been a warming center for many years now. We saw the opportunity to come alongside our neighbors experiencing homelessness and really step into the willingness of turning our building into a place that would welcome um, our neighbors when it's really cold outside. This would give us the chance to not only offer a warm meal and a bed, but to get to know neighbors who live right here in our neighborhood with us and alongside us who otherwise we might not have the chance to strike up a conversation with. It's so easy to think that there really is a wall or a permission slip that has to be signed in order for us to get uncomfortable and bring someone into our space, bring someone into our circle. Jesus is pleading with us to just tear down some walls, tear down some barriers so that um, we just have a chance to see one another and enter into community with one another. Warming shelter gives us the chance to figure out how to get outside that gate. Often, we concentrate on the warm meal and the cot and the warm blanket at the warming center, but it's hope. It's someone making eye contact. It's someone saying your first name. It's being seen and being heard and being known for a night. That is what a Seacoast Warming Shelter is all about. So grateful for our Somerville campus and the way that you are serving the community. And, you know, the longer you do ministry and church, the easier it is to become focused on just what happens inside of these walls. And I love that uh, you guys are not. And I was out at Somerville a couple of weekends ago and I walked through their offices. Everything outside looked amazing. And the offices, you could tell they were hosting a warming shelter. Uh, there was actually somebody sleeping on a couch. There was stuff everywhere. And it made me think about Proverbs uh, chapter 14, verse 4 says, Without oxen, the stable stays clean. But if you want to, if you want to reap a harvest, then you need oxen. And it's like, man, I love that uh, we're getting our hands dirty. I know yesterday our West Campus hosted a car care ministry and a lot of cool things happening around here. And so one more time, let's give it up for all of those who are serving outside the walls of our church. We're grateful. My name is Josh. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor. I consider that a great honor and a privilege to be a part of this incredible church family, and I'm excited about what God is doing with us. Before I jump into today's uh, topic, uh, I want to let you know where we're going here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, next week, we're going to start a series called Proverbs, Find Wisdom, Find Life. That's the promise uh, that Proverbs gives us, as if we'll find wisdom, we'll find life. And in January, I told our team that my word for the year, which I don't really love words for the year because I don't remember what my word was for last year, but I know it's a word for right now. Like a word that I needed right now was wisdom. I felt like God was telling me, hey, I don't want you to just operate out of your, your gut instincts this year. I want you to operate out of a divine revelation, out of biblical wisdom, out of godly wisdom. And that's not just for me because I'm a pastor. That's for all of us. And so four of us went through the book of Proverbs in the month of January and it was so impactful that I took our executive team. We're going through it right now. Our leadership team here at the church is all going through that same Bible reading plan through the book of Proverbs. And it's been so rich. There's stuff about family, relationships, jobs, uh, stress, all the stuff that we deal with. It talks about it in the book of Proverbs. And so here's what we're going to do. March, I want to take all of you through it. What if the entire church went through the same 
Bible reading plan, how powerful would that be for tens of thousands of people to be getting the same wisdom and operating out of that? And so there's a QR code. And if you want to take your phone out, you can take a picture of that QR code, which is going to take you to the Bible uh, app on your phone. I feel like, I feel like y'all are paparazzi. I'm like, I gotta, you know, y'all taking pictures. Um, but here's what it's going to do. It's going to take you to a page. And what you need to do is select Seacoast Church as your home church on the Bible app. And once you do that, when the plan goes live, which will be uh, middle of this week, we're going to start on March the 1st, and we're going to read through this plan together. Uh, It will send you a notification or you'll open up your Bible app and it will show you that reading plan and we'll read that together. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I believe Pastor Greg's kicking off the series next week, which is going to be phenomenal. But today we're wrapping up a series that we've been doing called United We Stand. And I'm actually cheating. I'm, I'm, I'm using, I'm going to use the book of Proverbs. So I'm not cheating. I'm just building a bridge between the last series and the next series because Proverbs has so much wisdom as it pertains to relationships, how we interact with each other, relationships between family members, parents, children, spouses, friends. There's so much wisdom in the book of Proverbs about relationships. And there's one verse in Proverbs that talks about one thing that only you can do that's going to impact every relationship that you have. You know, Adam kicked off this series and it was so good talking about how relationships go wrong. And it's when we expect out of other people something that only God can can give us, right? It's, it's when we create idols out of our relationships. And that is so foundational to having thriving relationships. But Proverbs is going to tell us, hey, there's actually one thing that, that only you can be responsible uh, as, it, as, it, as it goes about with your life, with your relationships. There's one thing. And only you can be responsible for this one thing. As I was thinking about this one thing, I was reminded of a a birthday party that I went to for one of my children's friends. I have three children, 15, 13, and nine. Uh, There's 14 cousins among them, which means there's a birthday party every other day, basically, is how that math works out. Uh, And then a lot of you have kids too, and uh, we love your kids. And sometimes you invite us to your kids' birthday parties, which is fun. And uh, it's been a little painful on the budget. Uh, but we've learned to prepare for that and plan for that. And it's, it's good. But we were at a, a summer birthday party that was at a pool. Uh, this was when my daughter Greta Kate was three years old. We had about an eight year stretch where we had a child in our home that didn't know how to swim. So we would go to these birthday parties. And when you go to a pool party, it's very important that mom and dad are on the same page of who is watching the children, right? And who's making sure that they're safe. And so Greta Kate was three and I was in charge of her. And so I put one of these guys on her. Uh, how many parents are grateful for these life jackets uh, that keep them safe and all of that good stuff. And so she's swimming. We're at the party. They all get out of the pool. We do pizza and we do birthday stuff, singing the, the song and all the cake and all that stuff. And, and the last time I had looked at Greta Kate, she had this thing on her. So I walk out. There was a dock at the house that we were at. And I was out on the dock talking to a couple of friends. And all of a sudden, I look back towards the pool and I see Joey Svensson, who is our podcast uh, director. He was the campus pastor at our James Island campus at the time in a full on sprint, fully clothed, and he jumps into the pool. And I'm thinking, somebody's in trouble. This is not, this is a big deal. Well, I, I come running back towards the pool and Joey comes out of the pool with my three-year-old daughter, Greta Kate. Now, thankfully, she was fine. She had just gotten 
into the pool and Joey saw it and he jumped in and he helped her. And so she was okay. But I'm like, what, 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 what is going on? And you know what I noticed is that life jacket that I was depending on for help <clears throat> was on the ground. She had taken it off while she was eating cake and then she wandered back into the pool. But you know what happened when I walked up and I made eye contact with my wife, my wife was not mad at the life jacket. It was my job. <laughs> it was my responsibility to keep an eye on Greta Kate, and I had failed in that responsibility. And I thank God I, I will forever be uh, grateful to Joey that, that he picked up the slack. But there is something that the Bible speaks about that is only your responsibility. I can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your kids can't do it for you. Your friends can't. There's something only you can do, and it's of utmost importance, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And the thing that only you can do is to guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I want you guys to read this out loud with me. Would you do that? It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Solomon wrote this this particular verse to his kids. He was talking to his sons and he says, more important than anything else, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because the condition of your heart is going to be the condition of your life. To the degree that your heart is disorderly, your life is going to be disorderly. To the degree that your heart is is troubled. Your life is going to be troubled. The direction of your life is going to go in the direction of your heart. And so our, our job today is to, to ask ourselves, how am I doing at guarding my heart? What does it mean to guard my heart? Well, we got to start by understanding what does the Bible mean when it says heart? You know, we think about heart and we think about, you know, our emotions, anything that comes with an emoji, right? When you text an emoji, that's heart. And that's actually a concept that the Greeks brought into play just a few hundred years ago. But when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about a lot more than just our emotions. Uh, the Old Testament alone uses the word heart around 800 times. The book of Proverbs, if you jump in this with us next week, you'll see 91 times in the 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs, it talks about the heart. Well, what is it talking about? What is it talking about? I'll summarize it by saying the heart is the subconscious stuff that's going on in our life that determines the direction of our life. And we, we could describe it as four different things. It's number one, the intellectual capacity. Uh, look at Proverbs 23 and verse seven. It says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So it's those, your thought life, the way that you think about things is a reflection of the biblical concept of your heart. Uh, it's also your emotional capacity. You know, what we would traditionally think of when we think of the heart, you know, the feelings that we have when we watch the romantic comedies or when you met that person, the, the emotions, that's definitely a part of what the Bible's talking about when it talks about our heart. But it's also uh, what I said is volitional capacity. You think of it as the will uh, that you have. The heart has a pull to it. Uh, the, 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 what, what you set your heart on, you've heard that phrase. You set your heart towards something. When you set your heart on something, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pull you towards that thing. 
It's, it's related to your will. I know when we had young kids in the home, I set my heart on getting a minivan, which tells you I didn't have good friends in my life to just do that. You know, but I thought, man, it's going to be great. And it was useful uh, for a season. But, but you set your heart on that. Then all of a sudden, all that I notice on the road is, is the thing that I had set my heart on. And it, it's got this like pull, this gravitational pull towards that thing. And some of you, have, you've set your heart right on a job or, you know, a person and, and you just kind of start drifting towards that thing. And then it's also our, our moral capacity. You know, Jesus said that nothing can defile a person but their heart. Look what he said in Mark chapter 7, verse 21. It says, for from within, out of a person, say it with me, heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality. Theft, murder, he must have been talking about a different church than Seacoast, but, but greed, wickedness, all these things, he says, he says, they come out of your heart. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you, your heart. It's this complicated thing that encompasses our mind and our emotions and our will and, and our moral compass. It's that subconscious stuff that ultimately determine the direction that our life is going to go. Can you see why the heart is such a big deal? Can you see why Solomon is like, hey, you, you guys got to pay attention to this. You, you, you have to have a healthy heart more than anything else. Really, Josh, more than my, my kids? Yeah, because if you don't guard your heart, it's going to seep into the way that you treat your kids and the way that you raise your kids and the way you treat other people. We have to guard our heart more than anything else. And by the way, you may not have realized this, but your heart is under attack. The enemy knows that if he can get your heart, if he can harden your heart, if he can break your heart, if he can get your heart, that ultimately it's going to determine the course of your life. And so you protect things that are under attack. Our, our military, it, it protects us. It protects our nation because it knows that it's not like, Everybody's out for our best, right? There are enemies of our nation and we protect them. There's enemy of your heart. And so we have to guard it. So what does that mean? How do we guard our hearts? What, what, what does it look like? You know, um, it, it's interesting to me. We, we know how to guard things. Um, you guard a lot of things in your life, don't you? Uh, how many of you, when you got to church today, you parked in the parking lot, and as you were walking away from your car, most of you grabbed a little clicker and you locked your car, right? You guarded it. How many of you didn't lock your car? I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand for that. It's a bad move. But you, 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 you know how to guard things. Your phone has a password on it because it protects people from being able to get into the phone and, and do things or say things on your behalf that aren't true or see things uh, that, that, that you have on your phone. You, you guard a lot of things. Uh, I was given an opportunity a few weeks ago to go speak at the chapel for the College of Charleston. Uh, by the way, 28 and 3, they just finished up the season. Uh, they're, they're, they're an amazing team. I'm excited about them. Uh, Coach Kelsey called me right after he got hired, and I thought, man, finally they realize I have some years of eligibility left, and now that, that they see talent, he's like, no, no, no. I just, but, but, but he said, I do want you guys to be a part of spiritually influencing our team, and he invited me down to do a chapel uh, for their team. And so I went down, but before we did chapel, they were doing a film session. Uh, and so he said, hey, Josh, why don't you come in and join us for this film session? And it was amazing to me. You think coach is intense on a sideline. 
the best coaches are way more intense in the film room and in the practice floor than they are on the sidelines. And so he's watching this film and he's getting up and he's talking and he's, and one of the players goes, Hey, in a certain situation, like a screen and roll against this particular team, uh, I know I'm supposed to stay with my man, but is it okay if I pretend like I'm going to switch and then I stay with him? And man, the coach was like, he jumps up and he goes, oh yeah, you're asking that you're the bulldog. And when you're the bulldog, that means that if that guy scores, it's on you, you guard that guy. So he said, you can, you can pretend, but you can't pretend. He goes, that's okay, but that's not okay. I'm like, what's going on here? But, but he was intense because inches matter in basketball, right? If he, if he does the wrong thing, then the guy's going to get by and score, and it's only his responsibility. And it was like, man, that level of intensity of guarding, that showed in the game when they had 58 defensive deflections uh, in that particular game, and, and they won the game by 30 points because the coach knew that, man, inches matter in where you're positioning and all of that. And And I want you to think about that level of intensity when you think about our responsibility to guard our heart. It it matters because it's going to take us in a direction of our heart. And so thankfully, the book of Proverbs doesn't leave a mystery for how do we do that. The next couple of chapters, Solomon actually outlines for his son, this is what it looks like for you to guard your heart. And so the first thing that we need to do if we're going to take that responsibility seriously and guard our hearts is we have to control our tongue. Control your tongue. Look what he tells his sons after he says, guard your heart. He says, avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Because what we say is directly connected to our hearts. So he's like, y'all, y'all need to be careful with your words. Control your tongue. A few years ago, I had a chance to ride horses uh, in Colorado with a group of friends. And uh, we were out in this area. It's called Sedalia, Colorado. We were riding horses. And I noticed that the landscape around me, everything was dead. Uh, The trees weren't growing. The grass wasn't growing. It was just desolate around me. And I've got some pictures. I, I asked a local, I said, hey, why does nothing grow here? And he said, oh, no, stuff grows here. All of that is dead because of the fire. I was like, oh, wow. When did the fire happen? He said the fire happened 17 years ago. It was Haman fire. And up until a couple of years ago, it was the biggest fire that ever uh, struck in Colorado. And what I learned is that the fire happened. I'm like, so did it happen right around here? And he goes, no, it happened almost 100 miles away from where you're standing right now. And, and here, here's what happened. There was a person who worked for the forestry service, and she had gone through a broken heart. She'd gone through a failed relationship, and she went out into the forest, and she took a letter that she had written to her estranged husband, and she struck a match, and she burned the letter, and she put it down in a fire pit. Now, it happened to be a dry season. It was a no-burn season in Colorado. And if you've ever lived in an area like that, you know how big of a deal that is. But she she drops this letter in the midst of her own heartbreak, and she walks away. And this fire begins to spread. And it goes on for just a few months, but in a few months, it would burn over 140,000 acres. Many people lost their homes. Many people lost their lives. Because of this. And here I was. 
17 years later, almost 100 miles from the spot of this match, and I'm looking at death that came because of it. That's the power that our speech has. That's the power of the tongue. In fact, there are some of us that are here today, and somebody said something to you, about you, potentially years or decades ago, and you're still living in the death of that word that was spoken over you. And I'm believing today God's going to cancel some of those words, and we're going to experience life. So, so we have to be careful with, with what we say. We, we have to be careful with what we hear, what we receive. You know, there are some things that, that you shouldn't say, you shouldn't listen to, that you shouldn't watch, that you shouldn't pay attention to. Why? Because what we hear ultimately will become what we say and what we speak into other people. And you go, well, Josh, what do you mean? Are you being legalistic about that? No, I have a vision for my life. And where my heart goes, my life is going to go. And so, so Proverbs uh, tells us in Proverbs 18, or actually Proverbs 12, 18, says the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. You're going to do one of two things with your, with your words. Just like a match does one of two things. I, I love a match when I need a warm fire in the fireplace, when I need to heat up the grill for some good steaks, when I want to light a candle to set an environment. It's either going to warm things up or it's going to burn things down. And that's what our speech does. Parents, we have the opportunity to speak life, to speak hope, to speak faith into our kids' future. If you're married here today, there is nobody that has more power to add value, to bring life into your spouse than you do. And there's also nobody on planet Earth that has the power to speak death over them like you do. So let's be attentive. Let's control our tongue. Let's speak life. A couple of different kind of uh, applications of that. One would be just pay attention to your tone. You know, you can say the right thing in the wrong way. And produce the wrong fruit in your life. Proverbs 15.1 tells us a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. That verse has saved me a number of times. And not, not following that advice has hurt me a number of times. Lisa could share plenty of testimonies of that. But our tone also, I just want to say, I'm not going to preach on this, but gossip is a way that we would use our tongue that brings death. And I know we live in a culture of social media, and it's just kind of normal to talk about other people all the time. But if you're not part of the problem and you're not part of the solution, you probably shouldn't be talking about it. Because Proverbs 11 tells us that a gossip just goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. The power of the tongue. So, so let's control our tongue. A second way that we guard our hearts is we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes. Look at verse 25. He says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. He's saying, sons, I, I want you to be like the horse that I'm going to show you on this, this picture that has blinders. Have you ever seen uh, race horses or uh, horses if it's pulling a carriage downtown Charleston? They put these blinders on them because they know 
that it's very, very important to the direction and the success of, of their task, whether that's pulling a carriage or winning a race, that they have to keep their eyes focused forward. And the same is true with us. If we're going to guard our heart, we have to control our tongue, but we also have to be really, really mindful of the direction of our eyes. You know, we can do one of three things with our eyes. One thing we can do is look backwards, constantly living out of the things from our past and even living under things that were spoken about us in the past, or maybe even feeling like you're stuck in a decision that you made, a way that you blew it back in the day. And we can, we can just look back and we can learn from the past, but we should never live in the past. Or we can look side to side. You know, we're, 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 we know where we're supposed to go, but we're constantly distracted with what's going on around beside us. And if you're in a relationship, maybe you're dating somebody and, and, and you follow some people on Instagram and, and man, you're like, I just want to have a marriage like they have. No, you don't. You want a marriage like their social media has because <laughs> that's all they're posting. Right. And, and that's good. That's smart. Please don't post your worst stuff on social media either. Right. But but we find ourselves comparing our day-to-day normal with everybody else's thing that they want you to see because they posted it to their Instagram account. And, and, and we find ourselves getting distracted or even kind of going, man, I wish, I wish he would do treat me like that guy treats her. Or, man, well, she doesn't say those things to me. And all of a sudden, we're looking to the side and we're, we're now distracted. And, and the, the more we look that way, it's, it's going to ultimately direct the course of our life. And then our heart becomes to get engaged in that. And our thoughts get engaged in that. And all of a sudden, that's why Proverbs says, just, just look straight ahead, focus on what's ahead. That's the third thing we can do with our eyes is we can look ahead, look forward, look at the opportunities that God has put in front of us. And most importantly, fix our gaze on Christ. I love the scripture in Hebrews tells us, says we, we, we look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention. Some versions say we fix our eyes and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. I love that. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author of your faith and he's the perfecter of your faith. Uh, his word over you is more important than any other word that's ever been spoken over you. And we can focus our attention, pay attention. You've heard that phrase, like we've said it to our kids, pay attention. It's pretty accurate because your attention has a cost to it. And what we pay attention to is ultimately going to seep into our heart and affect where we go. So guard your heart, Seacoast, guard your heart. How do you do it? You, you, You control your tongue. You fix your eyes. And then the last thought out of this passage, the last verse here, is watch your step. Watch your step. Look at verse 26. He says, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. It's a dad talking to his sons. And by the way, Solomon is the wisest person on earth. Solomon also has a lot of relationship baggage. Did not get it right in relationships. In fact, it would ultimately be part of his downfall. But what you hear here is you hear a guy who has experienced pain, who's looking at his sons and saying, hey, please don't do the same thing. 
Keep your feet moving in the right direction. Later, he would say in Proverbs 16, 9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We submit our steps to him and we ask him to lead us and to guide us. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. How do you know how your heart's doing? How's your speech been lately? What about your focus? Where have your eyes been fixed? And ultimately, that's going to lead you in a direction. Where have your feet been taking you? And as I was reading this, as I've told you, I've gone through Proverbs now twice, and I'll go through it again next month. You start to connect some dots. In the very next chapter, Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon gets into a great level of detail in describing somebody who did not guard his heart, did not watch his tongue, did not fix his eyes, and did not watch his steps. And it does not go well for him. In fact, it talks about him uh, getting distracted by what he calls the immoral woman or the adulterous woman. And, and what I would say to you is maybe it is an adulterous relationship, but I've, I've, when I read Proverbs, I've actually defined that a lot broader than that. I've defined that as pornography. I've defined that as anything that might be a distraction or a, that, that would get into my heart that would take me to a place where I don't want to go. And at the end of that chapter, he describes the steps of this guy who starts to get distracted. And he says that he was led to the slaughter like he was an oxen. Like an oxen being led to the slaughter. It started good. You know, distraction. Oh, wow. Noticed something and says her bed was full of perfume, but he had no idea that he was just being led to a place of death. And that's what the enemy wants to do for all of us. He wants to do it in your relationships. He wants to lead you to the slaughter that you would experience death. That's why it's so important for us. If we're going to have thriving relationships, if we're going to be the kind of parents and friends and boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife that God's called us to be. There's one thing that you can't blame anybody else for is the condition of your heart. Guard your heart, Seacoast. Guard your heart. And there are some of us that are here today, and man, if we're just kind of reflecting and being honest about where we are, we would say, man, my heart is off. My heart is broken. I've been through some things and my heart feels damaged. And that's where I would just encourage you that the very first thing that you do to guard your heart is to get a new heart, to get a heart transplant. And the Bible says that Jesus didn't come just to give us a better life. He came to give us a new life, to take dead things and, and, and bring life out of them. And so the very first thing that I would encourage you to do, if you're dealing with a, a heart that's showing back and reflecting back, dead spaces. Just say, God, I'm going to give you my heart. I want to give you my heart, Jesus. I know that you came and you died on a cross for me, that you rose from the dead, displaying your power over death, that you've come to create a new creation in me, to give me a new heart. There's never a bad day to say, God, I surrender my heart to you. I give my heart to you. So some of you may do that for the first time. Some of you may do that because you need to right now because of where you're at. And I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you and admonish you to guard your heart. So God, I, I thank you, Lord, that you did come 
to bring life. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, and you came to give us life and life abundantly. So God, I pray and speak over any person who is here today who would say, I need to give you my heart. I need you to give you my heart and and whatever condition that it's in. And God, I'm asking you to to create something new in me, to, to renew my heart, to give me a new heart, to breathe life back into these dead bones so that I might be able to live a life abundantly. And as we continue to pray, I just felt really strong in my spirit today that there are some of us that are here and somebody spoke death over you. Somebody spoke something over you. It may have been a parent, a coach, a teacher, a friend. I don't know what it was, but you're still living in the carnage of that word that was spoken over you. And if, if, if that's you, we're going to continue to pray. Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. I just want to pray specifically that God would cancel that word in your life. Would you just raise your hand if there's somebody that has spoken something over you? Okay, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, we cancel any word of death spoken over anybody in this place in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for the words that you have spoken to us, that we are adopted, that we are loved, that we are never alone, that you have plans for us that are hopeful, that are prosperous for a future and a hope. And we receive your word over our lives, over any other word. We cancel the plans of the enemy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you receive the word that God has for us today? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is my favorite part of our service, and we call it response time. If you're new to Seacoast, we'd encourage you not to hurry out right now, but to take just a few minutes to answer two questions. What's God saying to you today, and what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And some of us, maybe there is a word that's been spoken over you, and and today you're choosing to live out of a new word over you. You may want to go to the cross and just leave whatever that was. It could be a name, the person that spoke it, it could be the word. Just leave it there. Say, God, I'm, I'm leaving this at the cross, and I, I'm, I'm asking you to give me a new word. You may find it out of scripture. You may come up for prayer. Our prayer teams that are here, they're coming up to the front. They'll also be in the, the back and the midsections of our worship center, and that's what they do is speak life over you. They speak God's word over you. Regardless of what circumstance you're walking through, what area of pain you might be in right now, they would love to just pray for you and pray life over you. You know, some of us are here today, and maybe you're, you're just walking in with a bit of a broken heart. That could be because of a loss that you've gone through. That could be because of a relational pain that you've walked through. And the key to guarding our heart is not that we're never going to get wounded, but that we're going to allow the Spirit of God the presence of Jesus, the great physician who the Bible says binds up our broken hearts. We're going to just bring our hearts to him. And worship is such a powerful way that we're going to experience the presence of God. And he's going to begin to renew and heal a broken heart so that we can guard it and live, live as best as we can with our lips, with our eyes, and with our steps to guard the hearts that he's given us. Some may go to the candles. And here at Seacoast, we use the candles for intercessory prayer. Uh, There may be somebody that you know and love that's hurting right now or could be related to your heartache yourself, but we're going to go to the 
candles. And instead of thinking worst case scenario, we're going to do what the Bible tells us to do. And we're going to pray, speak life, speak hope, speak words of life into that situation. And then we have communion stations here at Seacoast. We take communion every week. Jesus said, as often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. So come, if you're a believer and receive communion as a reminder that Jesus came to give you a new life and a new heart, that you receive that. And remember his death, his body, his blood, and his resurrection in our lives. And then we're going to worship an awesome God. What's God saying to you today? Let's respond to him together.